0: Christmas is my absolute favorite time of year. I love all the traditions that this season brings us. The shopping, the wrapping, the gifting, the parties, the celebrations, the the food. Oh my goodness, the music, all of that. But I think one of the reasons that we love traditions is because it gives us this sense of familiarity, which brings comfort, and this sense of nostalgia, But I think that we also need to be cautious and recognize that there is a dangerous side to familiarity. You see, when things become a little too familiar, we stop questioning, we stop examining, we stop noticing. Familiarity can make us complacent, and at its very worst, it can kill wonder and awe. Think about a time that you have been to a new city, you've taken a trip On your first day, you're just overwhelmed with all of the things that you want to see. You're taking pictures of the scenery, the landscaping, the architecture. You're just wanting to absorb the culture. And then yet on day three, we walk around with our heads down looking at our phone. Familiarity has this tendency to kill our wonder and awe. And it's important for us to to pay attention to that, especially this time of year, as we're stepping into the season and we're reexamining a story that for most of us is quite familiar. The story where Pastor Jonathan last week explained to us as he simplified it for us. He explained that Christmas is simply about God saving the world through Jesus Christmas is simply about God saving the world through Jesus. Now, this means that's the divine creator. The divine creator that chooses to come, in this vulnerable newborn form, to save us. That should stop us in our tracks. It should catch our breath. It should stir our wonder and awe. And then when we look at this a little bit further, we peel back another layer of it. There's another piece to this that is just as improbable, but also quite true. And that is simply the fact that God used simple people to activate his simple plan. He used simple people. Now, hear me, when I use the phrase simple people, I am not trying to insinuate a low IQ. But no, just simple, ordinary, normal, regular people, just like you and me. I know sometimes that might feel a little bit uncomfortable, especially to think about people like Mary and Joseph as simple or ordinary. And I think that's because through time, we have a tendency that we've, we've glamorized them in our minds. We've turned them into these, these spiritual giants in our minds. And the danger of that is that then it makes it so much more difficult for us to imagine ourselves in their place. It makes it harder for us to imagine that God wants to use us too. Yeah, there's a danger in that. So before we step into the Christmas story and look at it again tonight, what I want us to do is to, to, to first just pause and, and consider that. What is it? Why do we have that tendency to assume that God doesn't want to use us or maybe to put up some barriers to allowing God to use us? I think there are a few. I think one way that we assume and we have this this obstacle is that we simply disqualify ourselves. Because we have this tendency, we look in the mirror and all we see are our, our past failures, our sin, our mistakes, our insecurities. And so we assume that we are disqualified. Or maybe, maybe it's others that have made us feel that way. People that should have loved us. Maybe hurtful words that were spoken over us that have left us feeling unworthy or invaluable and therefore disqualified. Maybe even for some of us, it's a church. A church has made us feel disqualified from God using them. Yeah. Another obstacle that is common is that we're distracted. Boy, we're distracted on a normal day, right? This season especially is even worse. It is so easy for us to allow the complexities of this season to just overshadow the needs that are right around us. Yes, our schedules, our to-do lists. Sometimes we just simply forget to lay down our to-do lists and see the people that are right in front of us. We are just so distracted. And then lastly, we disengage. Sometimes we just have this tendency to just disengage because we assume that God is going to choose to use someone with more, more wisdom, more education or intelligence, more answers, we feel like we're disqualified because we don't have a degree in theology or we don't have a title such as minister or pastor. And so we are perfectly comfortable to just sit back and disengage. Because just like we have this tendency to create people in, the, in Scripture as spiritual giants in our minds, sometimes we do the same thing with modern day people. And what ends up happening, we end up overqualifying them and then we underqualify ourselves. And so we're perfectly happy to just step back and allow God's work to be done in other people's lives. Yeah. So I'm not sure exactly where you may land in these three categories. I know on any given day, I have seen myself in every single one of them. And yet we know. We know all throughout Scripture, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, God continuously used simple people, everyday people. God continuously used the ordinary people to do his extraordinary work. And we certainly see this in the Christmas story. How ordinary Mary must have looked as a young peasant girl, Barely a woman, a teenager, and a female who had very little value, very little worth in society in that time. Not to mention she was Jewish in a Roman-occupied territory. How ordinary she must have looked. How ordinary Joseph must have looked. Again, a Jew in Roman-occupied territory, but as he went about his life, probably one day looking very similar than the past, the last one as a simple day worker, a carpenter, probably not drawing many glances as he went about his day, how ordinary he must have looked. And yet we know, we know that God did extraordinary things through these two people. He literally altered the course of history through these two people. But what I would like for us to do tonight is take a look at some other people In the Christmas story. Some people that most people would consider secondary characters. In fact, if you have a nativity scene, when you set it up, you probably are more likely to push them to the outer edges of it. And yet we have so much to learn from them. So before we take a look at the scripture, can we just choose to open our hearts, open our minds, to push back the threat of familiarity and allow God maybe to, to present something a little bit new, to rekindle some of our awe, or maybe to spark it for the first time. So the passage we're going to take a look at is from the book of Luke tonight. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, I can imagine so, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. This is one of my favorite scriptures. Good news, great joy, all people. The Savior Now, I find this part fascinating because during this culture, it was actually common for fathers, Jewish fathers, to invite musicians into his home to help announce the birth of a son because it was that big of a deal. And here we have our heavenly father saying, hey, watch this. Watch my band. So cool. So when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. And thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, and it was just as the angel had told them. Throughout the Gospels, throughout the four accounts of the life of Jesus, there is a common thread that we see, a common theme. Jesus constantly went against the grain. <laughs> he constantly was doing the unexpected. He was very countercultural, And what I find amazing is that his birth was exactly the same. You see, shepherds in this day were among the lowest of society. They were looked upon with disdain. They had very little value, very little worth. What their, their job was, it was quite dirty, right? I mean, they probably smelled bad, maybe, I would assume. But not only were they physically dirty, shepherds were also considered to be ceremonially unclean, which meant that they were not welcome in people's homes because that was considered to be contagious. But more importantly, they were not allowed to go to the temple You see, the the religious leaders of that time declared that they were disqualified. That the shepherds were not allowed to come to the temple. And here, here we see that God has chosen them. God has invited them to be the very first to come to this brand new temple. This makeshift cradle that now holds God in human form. But see, the shepherds had nothing to bring them. The shepherds had no gifts for this new king. They had nothing to offer except their testimony, except their message, except their voices to go and share what they have learned and seen to everyone. But see, the irony of that is that in this time, in this culture, they were inadmissible It was considered for for shepherds that they weren't even allowed to be a witness in courts because they were considered to be so untrustworthy. And yet this, this is who God chose to be the first to see Jesus and to share that message of his birth. Not to mention, it's possible We don't know for sure, but it is quite likely that, especially because of where these shepherds were working, we know that they were near Bethlehem and near the Jerusalem temple, that it's quite possible that they were actually considered temple shepherds. And what that means is that the flock that they were in charge of, the flock that they protected and nurtured could have been the unblemished lambs that would soon be used as an animal sacrifice in the temple. You fast forward 30 years and suddenly there is John the Baptist. He's, he's preaching and he is baptizing others in the Jordan and walks and in walks Jesus. And John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God who has come to, to take away the sins of the world. John called him the Lamb of God. And so here are these shepherds that have come to see him, the first ones. And I can't help but wonder, I can't help but wonder as Luke recorded they went back to their flocks that night. When they were with their flocks, did it occur to them did it occur to them that one day soon their job is going to be obsolete. You know, you look through the story and through human eyes it doesn't make any sense. It does not make any sense and I imagine this conversation with God. And imagine if you were on God's strategic advisory board. Okay, this is how my brain works. Just come along with me. So we're with God. And and at the very beginning, when we're going over this plan, we get to this point in the plan. And God wants to know, okay, who should we send the angel to? Who gets to hear this heavenly host? Who are we going to use as our messengers? And I would imagine myself saying, oh, I know, God, the Pharisees, the Pharisees or the Sadducees, the, the religious elite. God, they, they know the, the Old Testament, the 613 laws, forwards and backwards. We, we should use them. And God looks at me and smiles and shakes his head. Okay, okay, not them, not them. What about the rulers? We should, we should go to the rulers next, God. They... They have power. They already have influence. They have a platform that we can utilize. We should go to the, to the rulers of the land. And again, God looks at me and shakes his head. And I can't help but wonder how many people would I go through? How many, how many options would I present before I finally said, well, they're shepherds. And not only shepherds, these were actually the night shift Y'all, they're even below the day shift shepherds. I just don't know how long it would take me to finally suggest them as an option and God to look at me and say, yeah, that's who I want to use, them. And I think I would still wonder, like, what? But God, this this doesn't make any sense. I think we need to rethink this plan, God, because no one's going to listen to them. They have no influence. They have no power. They have no voice. Their witness isn't even admissible. God, we, we really need to rethink this idea. This plan makes no sense unless unless God knew that one day I would be tempted to disqualify myself. This plan makes sense No sense. Unless God knew that one day you would be tempted to disqualify yourself. This plan makes no sense unless God knew we would be tempted to just disengage and leave his plans to those with more. You know, this plan makes no sense unless God knew exactly what he was doing. It's so, okay, maybe we can hear this and think, okay, if, 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 God, if God didn't choose to disqualify the shepherds who society already had, then okay, maybe, maybe I can ad- adhere to that. Maybe I can agree that maybe he doesn't want to disqualify me as well. But see, if you're like me, there's another hangup in this Christmas story that sometimes gets my attention. You see, there was something that, Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds all had in common. They all had a visit from an angel. And so it's so tempting for me to see that and think, that's what I need. God, just send me an angel. That's all I need. If you were to just send me an angel, prove to me that you exist for one, but then also tell me exactly what to do, I promise you I'll do that. Don't we all want that? Don't we all want clarity? Don't we all want that certainty? We all want the neon sign. How many times have we prayed for clarity? A few years ago, I heard a story about a gentleman who had an interaction, a conversation with Mother Teresa. This story stuck with me so much, and it has forever shaped the way that I pray. He was talking with her, and she offered to pray for him. And he thought, oh, great. So he starts to explain to her that he is in the middle of this situation, that he's, he's uncertain about what to do. And he, he explains it to her, and he just said, Mother Teresa, if you don't mind, would you would you just please pray that God will give me clarity on what my next step is in this circumstance? So I can imagine what he's thinking. He's probably like, yay! God's going to answer her prayer because she's Mother Teresa. And she looks at him and she says, no. I can imagine he was a little caught off guard. She said, no, I will not pray for clarity because with clarity you don't need trust and trust is actually what you need. So perhaps, perhaps we've been praying for the wrong thing. Perhaps what we should be praying for is God to help us with our trust. Perhaps that's what we should be focused on, not the commonality of the angel, but there is a different commonality that that Mary and Joseph and the shepherds all had. They said yes. They chose to trust. Now, we have the gift of seeing their full story, but they didn't. When their lives were interrupted, they didn't know exactly what they were saying yes to. So despite the risks, despite the uncertainties, they chose to say yes. They were willing participants. You see, God chooses to use willing participants to carry out his simple plan. Just willing participants. And that's what he's asking of us. Like, would you just trust that, yes, I do want to use you as part of this plan. Right in your circumstances, despite any risk, despite any uncertainties, I want to meet you right where you are. Will you be willing? Willing participants in his plan. You know, when we look at that and we consider it, then we start to wonder, well, what, what is that supposed to look like? When we do say yes, we talk about God, God does extraordinary things through ordinary people. And when we decide, okay, yes, I, I, I do want to have faith. I do want to trust that God wants to use me. How do we know what that then looks like? How do we define extraordinary? You see, sometimes I think that we are tempted to disengage because we're waiting for the big, grand, flashy, Instagram-worthy opportunity to participate in. But then again, I think some of us are on the other extreme, We're afraid that if we do say, yes, I am willing to be a participant in God's plan, then he's going to tell us to do that big, grand, flashy, Instagram-worthy thing, like maybe move to Africa or something like that. That seems to be the example that seems to pop up at times. But how do we define what extraordinary looks like? I feel like God taught me this example not too long ago. A few years ago, a friend of mine was going through a difficult time, a dark moment in her life, and so I grabbed some lunch, and I went to see her. She was in the middle of of moving and getting settled into a new place. So I just showed up, sat down with her, and had some lunch. We laughed together, cried, prayed, and I just hung out with her for a while. When I was leaving I was getting in my car, and I saw her run out of the front, her front door, and she had this piece of cardboard. She was still emptying some boxes and whatnot, so she comes running out to my car, and I roll the window down, and she's laughing. She hands me this piece of cardboard, <laughs> and this is what it looked like. Thanks for being awesome. And so we kind of laughed about it. She just thanked me again for showing up. So I drove home, and I started to just throw that piece of cardboard in the trash can, but I kept it. That's it on my refrigerator. It's been there literally for three years. And please know, listen, this is not my reminder that I am awesome. That is not the point. That is not why I wanted to keep it. I kept it as a reminder to me of how do I define awesome? Because sometimes awesome just simply looks like showing up for someone who is hurting Sometimes the extraordinary things that God wants us to do may look pretty simple. So how do you define extraordinary? When you're willing to say, yes, what might that look like? Sure, it might be something big and grand and flashy. He might ask you to move to Africa or somewhere else. We don't know that, but it's probably not true for everybody. It would get kind of crowded over there. But... I do believe he is asking us to walk across the street and start a relationship with a neighbor. I do believe that he is asking us to start a conversation with our coworker about him. I do believe that he is asking us to show up when people are in need. Students, I do believe that he is asking you to, you know that teacher that is overworked? I do believe that he is asking you to just simply say thank you or to reach out to a student who seems lonely or hurting. I do believe that he is asking us to put down our phone when we're in a waiting room and engage with the people that are beside us. I do believe that he is asking us to show encouragement to the cashier at Lowe's Foods. I do believe he's asking us to encourage a parent of the just tantrum throwing toddler at Target this season. So what does that look like? I think that's something that we all need to examine. Are we willing, right where we are, despite any uncertainties, despite any risks that may be involved, are we willing to just simply say yes, to put down our to-do list for a little while and just open our eyes to the opportunity and to the people around us? What does that look like? Because see, this is what it's gonna demand we're going to have to choose to never disengage to never just stand back and assume that God's going to use his plan through the plan through through the hands and lives of other people and it also means that we're going to have to choose to never accept the lie that we are disqualified because you see when we see our insecurities God sees possibilities when we see our exper- our inexperience God sees our potential when we see our past failures and mistakes, God is looking at the future joys that he has for us. And when all we see is obstacles, God sees a world that is in need of his hope. And so imagine, imagine if we absorb this Christmas story, this simple plan of God coming into the world through Jesus to save, to love us. Imagine what it would look like if we all Said yes. And to believe, to recognize that yes, God wants to use every single one of us as willing participants in this story. Imagine the impact that God could do through that. Imagine our homes, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our communities, our church, if we all engaged in that. The beautiful thing is, is that we're not alone in it. We're not alone. We have the power, his power available to us. Father God, we love you. We are so grateful for this Christmas season and just thank you for an opportunity. Would you just continue to keep our hearts soft and open to the awe and the wonder of what this story actually means? your plan to save the world through Jesus. God, may we never choose to just simply disengage. May, would you just help us to push, push away the doubts, the insecurities that may make us want to just simply disqualify ourselves. Would you help us to remove the distractions of this season, God, that, so that you can use us as willing participants in your plan. And just as Mary, just as Mary pushed past the risks, would you help us to just be those that say, so will I? As Joseph ignored the, the concerns of a reputation, would you help us to be those, the type of people that will say, so will I? God, and the shepherds, despite being disqualified by society, God, that they, they showed up. They spent time in your presence and then shared that with everyone. Would you give us the courage to say, so will I. And since Jesus, since Jesus came to love, to serve, to give, to sacrifice, would you give us the courage to trust, give us the courage to say, so will I. For your glory and our joy in your perfect son's name. Amen.